All righty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rogue Opinions. My name is Jimmy Baxter, and today I am being joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? A little disappointed, Jimmy. I, mean, I was told we'd have a special bills to be recording us, and said I'm sitting in this shitty little-looking tent. Uh, well, you know how they, uh, you know how with the uh, fighter fest uh, things, they they always uh, th- they tend to promise more than they deliver. Unfortunately, un- but fortunately for us. That is not the case with the wrestling event, Fighter Fest, that we got to see last night on BR Live in the States. And uh, I believe you guys had it on Fight TV through ITV, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to watch the buy-in on YouTube uh, for free, but I chose to wait till this sometime this morning and find a different link online to watch it because as much as they were hyping it up as being free, it was not free for us over here, so I thought, why pay for an event that other people are getting for free? That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I honestly, I wouldn't have been able to like afford to buy another pay per view so so close yeah. after Double or Nothing. But uh, I am happy that they decided to do it for free, at least in the states. And you know, with the internet, all things are possible. So, uh, speaking of the buy-in, let's move on. Let's go right into the buy-in. AEW Fighter Fest, the buy-in live from Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, we start off with a triple threat tag team match. Now go with me on this one, Scott. I know this is going to be a little convoluted, but this is the way that they called it on commentary. Triple threat tag team match for a spot at all in for a shot at a buy in to the, uh, a buy in the tag tournament. Mm -hmm. So when whomever wins this match gets to go to all out to compete for a buy in the first round of the tag tournament that they're planning on doing it's a little convoluted but it's in there so we got private party versus socal uncensored versus the best friends um now were you familiar with all of these teams or were some of these new fresh faces to you i was familiar with scu and the best friends private party i didn't know that much about i'd seen kind of a focus on them in the last episode of road to fighter fest so you got pretty much an idea of who they were they talked about being trained by Amazing Red, but this is the most I got to see them actually wrestle. Um, I actually got to, uh, I had the pleasure of calling uh, a couple of private party matches uh, when they were still working uh, the East Coast Indies. They they uh, were tag team champions for House of Glory here on the East Coast of the U.S., so I'm actually very familiar with these guys, um, and it was fantastic to be able to see them in front of a larger crowd. I actually wrote down here that they're finally getting the uh, spotlight they deserve. These guys are fantastic um and when they're given the platform to do what they do um it is very entertaining to watch them go i've always um enjoyed hearing where they're built from uh a place where you need like an id to get into or something like that it, it always makes me laugh um but uh what did you think of the match i really liked it uh despite not really knowing who private party were i thought private party were actually put over a lot in this match despite the fact they didn't come out with the win they they surprised everybody with their combination moves, and then we saw best friends and SU teaming for a lot to try and keep them isolated and take them down. So it made them look like the other teams realized these guys are a threat. So they had to try and take them out. So they had a good showing for themselves, I thought. Yeah, definitely. And um, at first, because of the size difference, which is something I want to be able to talk about throughout this episode about the size difference in the matchups that they had at fighter fest. Cause it was very interesting to see the people that they put up against certain people in the way that they looked uh, on screen. But when you have 
SoCal Uncensored, who aren't big, big guys, but they're bigger than Private Party, as are the best friends. Uh, the match starts out, and Private Party is getting just, I mean, you know, just mollywopped from both sides. Uh, best friends are able to just toss them around, SoCal Uncensored. It's almost like they were going back and forth to see who could do more damage to the private party. But once they got rolling and once they, they were able to start using their speed and like you said, their creative tandem offense, um, it became more and more clear that the private party was um, a team to look out for. And uh, there were a couple times where I thought maybe they were going to get the win, uh, but that was not to uh, come to fruition because the best friends were able to get the win after a strong zero finisher uh, getting a spot at all out just after the um, the win the dark order appears on the screen to challenge the best friends then they appear at ringside uh, like the the whole like the masked legion of them it wasn't um, the two main guys um, there's confusion lights out again and then the like the best friends seem stressed out and then that's it for that what did you make of the dark orders appearance here it just has me thinking like either they're gonna win the other match to go on the all out against the best friends or somehow they're going to try and cost the best friends all out because it does seem like the best friends are going to be their first feud if that's what they're building to or if not just their first match it does seem like that's what they're building to because the way you're laying out the stipulation for this match is convoluted it seems I think the best way to describe it is you have to wrestle two matches to then save yourself from wrestling one in the first round of the tournament yeah, absolutely. I was actually thinking uh, that maybe in two weeks at Fight for the Fallen, uh, Dark Order might get their chance to go one-on-one with the best friends, maybe in like a first part of their feud. And yeah, I mean, these guys are interesting. I don't know a lot about them. I didn't really watch a lot of Chikara when they were the Super Smash Brothers. Um, so I'm intrigued to see what they do. I'm intrigued to see what lengths they go to to uh, try and uh, upend the 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 powerhouse that is the best friends thus far we go and see bucks and omega uh they're complaining about the fighter fest accommodations and uh to make up for it um they 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 end up losing some of their gear so um uh, omega ends up blowing half the budget uh on uh on some gear so they have to get rid of some of the models uh you see it later on they get rid of one of the band like the band that was supposed to show up all poking fun at what was the fire fest from a couple of years ago. So the uh, mannequins come out to replace some of the models. And then uh, we see the librarians, Peter Avalon and Leva Bates. They go back and forth with one another. Uh, one of the, mo- one of the new models that is a mannequin gets decapitated. Uh, uh, tent ends up in the kiddie pool. The, there's a chant of, we can't read, uh, <laughs> which uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Florida, but um, it's <laughs> yeah. probably pretty true um, that most of those people probably weren't big readers. And that leads us into Allie versus Leva Bates, the librarian. This is the first singles single women's match in AEW, which is exciting until the bell rings, uh, because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This match was garbage. It was boring. It wasn't fun to watch. Leva Bates seemed like she didn't want to do anything. I like I like Allie and Blue Pants, but. Honestly, this was far and away the worst of the matches. I mean, I actually wrote down here, Allie wins the worst match I've ever seen that has a crowd so into it. Uh, The crowd was lively for pretty much everything on this show from the buy-in all the way through the finale of the show and beyond. Um, But 
yeah, I don't know. This match didn't do it for me. What about you? Well, before we go into the match, I said they were going very heavily in on all the Firefest references. Uh, later on, you see that the band and they reference some actual bands that pulled out and the replacement of the mannequins as well. That, so like I said, they were going to roll in on that. But I did like the whole replacing the man the models with mannequins. And like you said, it's one of the few times you'll ever hear people cheering for illiteracy in the history of wrestling. <laughs> but yeah. Although I do have to take exception with Eva's comments that there are more to read, more you should read books of actual words rather than comics and manga. Oh, comics have words like pal, kaboom. Yeah, for, that was that was my first reaction too when they were talking about how uh, manga and and comic books aren't the way to go. You got to read things with actual words, and it's like those are actual words in there. I'm not just I'm not just inferring what the pictures are telling me you know, through like context clues, you know, I'm, I'm being, I'm reading a whole bunch. Um, and I, I don't know who it was on commentary, but, uh, one of them on commentary said, um, that like manga is an abomination. I wanted to jump through my screen and just like, like shove my fist down his throat, like get out of my face. I don't like you. Um, but yeah, so, so the overall, the, the match, what, what were your, what were more of like your takeaways from it? Uh, I did. I do agree in the fact that I think maybe, maybe chemistry-wise, it was a bit off. I was more. I was more focused on what Peter Avalon was up to on the outside because I thought him and Leva were kind of a good like double actor, for lack of a better term. There, he was essentially just repeating what she said after when she was talking. They, it struck me as a kind of a weird Team Rocket vibe between those two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was my first reference, but. Uh, no that's totally that totally makes sense like i i need to see them come out like if they end up doing like a halloween centric show they need to come out with prepare for trouble and make it double like and do the whole thing because now that's the only thing i need from them just to think who do we get on the main on the roster to play uh meow i'm thinking jungle boy oh that's perfect dude like (laughs) We need to get in touch with once once Cody recovers from the lightning shot that he took to the head last night. Well, I'm going to DM him and see if maybe we can get Jungle Boy involved with them so they can do a Team Rocket thing because that's brilliant. Uh, actually, I agree with what you said about. Um, let's see, I probably didn't hate it as much as you did, but I do agree the chemistry was probably off, and I was more focused on what Peter was up to say because he's got one eye on a book and then he's trying to trip up Ali and then he. Have, inevitably costs leaving a match so I mean I get why they had Ali win because she's got that match with Brandy Rose and they had Brandy watching the match backstage which one of the commentators joked about she's watching TV from a sensible angle <laughs> yeah I'm sure that that's going to be the first thing on like a lot of like reviewers or podcasters lips is they had a gratuitous shot of somebody watching TV the correct way um one of my one of my friends while we were watching this brought up a great point. It's like, of course they're watching the show. Like, they're there. What else would they be doing? But yeah, it's that's like it's great to see that like that's how on some level petty they're being at AEW right now about like all the shots that they're taking at the way WWE does things. That they have to like include certain things like that. It's it's just very funny to me that they threw that in. 
Um, so then, uh, after that, uh, and of course, uh, Allie gets the win, uh, moving into her match with, uh, Brandy Rhodes at Fight for the Fall. And as you said, match should be pretty good. Uh, hopefully it's better than this one. Um, we move on to a hardcore match with Michael Nakazawa versus Alex Jabaley. Um, I'm just going to run through real quick a few of the things that we saw in this. There was baby oil, a kiddie pool, pool toys. Game pads, tablets. That's just five of the like 940 things. Because despite this being a hardcore match, this was definitely like played like way for way for comedy, and it was very very funny. But also in like juxtaposition to what we saw in the non-sanctioned match later, it makes it even funnier that this is some of the stuff that AEW is going to be doing, where you're going to have matches like Michael Nakazawa versus Alex Trebelli, and then the show gets ended with that like insane non-sanctioned match at the end. Um, Michael Nakazawa just, when he was pouring the oil on himself at points, I was just like, what, what is, what is going on here? What is this? Why is this tiny, like, like baby looking Asian man, like just lathering himself up against a non wrestler. And like, I didn't, I'm not familiar with, uh, like who Alex Jabaley is or like uh, what what's going on with this. But this was very entertaining uh, throughout. Uh, what did you think of this match in inverted commas? Yeah, well, I almost felt bad for Jabaley to come out and the commentators were just, they were just taking the piss out of him for like joking about him having his own face on his ear and the argument of the fact that how does he get pyro and saying that's where half the budget's gone on his pyro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with what you said about basically being played for laughs and well you kinda knew it was going to given who is involved in the like, story again in inverted commas around this and Nakazawa getting essentially tricking Chibelli to tell him which of his leg he injured before before immediately kicking it and then like they've definitely played for laughs with the baby oil and the referee slipping in the baby oil just it's definitely on a completely different end of the spectrum from the unsanctioned match we would see later on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, eventually, Nakazawa pins Jabali with the smelly thong <laughs> that he that he took out. He took he took that thong off in a very interesting way. Like you couldn't see it at all, and all of a sudden he just started like moving his hands around, and there was a thong that came out of somewhere. Uh, like it literally looked like he pulled that thong out of his ass oh it's just like what what even what even was this like it's it's interesting to see like this is one of the things that AEW does uh so well so far is that they're able to like provide like a really deep variety of things and you can see that they've learned from being on the indies for so long they being the young bucks kenny cody all those guys they They've really seen what makes people entertained at indie shows, and they're able to put something together that is um, both entertaining for the live crowd and just baffling in the best possible way to the crowd at home. So I, I enjoyed this like just cluster of just never-ending laughs. Like it was good to just have something that I mean was very entertaining because I wasn't very uh enthralled with the match before this so when this match started really getting going it was it was a lot of fun to just be able to uh 
laugh for, you know, six or so minutes. I mean, we've, we've seen worse matches that feature non-wrestlers, so for what it was, it was actually better than a lot of people were probably expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And Alex Bailey, I mean, you know, for a guy who, like, A, isn't trained, and B, was probably shown a handful of things over the last couple of weeks, you know, he wasn't bad. He didn't look like he, like, he definitely looked like he shouldn't be there, but he didn't look like he, you know shouldn't by all means be in the be in the ring with someone like Nakazawa. He's not in there with like Omega or the Bucks or, you know, Pentagon or anything. So it's you know it was just a, a whole barrel of laughs. Like it it made me like the, I when I was watching it, my one of my first thoughts towards the end of the match was just like, yeah, I'm happy I stuck this on. This is gonna be fun. This is gonna be all right. Yeah, kudos to him for taking the, the table spot as well, especially given like again he's not a wrestler that you didn't probably have to like you could have easily had a thing where he countered Nakazawa and had Nakazawa take the, the table spot, but he seemed up to, up for taking that spot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, I mean, kudos to him for, you know, just being out there in general. If I if I was told, like, hey, we're gonna, you're going to go out there and you're going to waist lock a grown man who's going to pour baby oil on himself and then slide out, and then you're going to get his thong in your face on <laughs> pay-per-view... I might have a, a few, uh, you know, just like a few things to disagree with about that, but kudos to Alex DeBailey for doing it. Um, then, of course, like I said, Nakazawa gets the pin, and then Jim Ross makes his entrance. Um, you know, it's always good to see JR, and, you know, he got a really great reaction. So, you know, it was good to see good old JR strutting his stuff down to the ring. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm a little uh, familiar with the other two guys that were joining Excalibur on the, the buy-in. I know Golden Boy stuck around for the rest of the show. I don't really know. I didn't really catch the other guys. Anymore. I thought they were pretty good. and uh, I was a bit nervous when I seen JR come out, but I think JR looked a lot better than he did at Double or Nothing because there was one or two spots where JR got a bit confused and uh, Excalibur and that had to kind of help him. But I think he, I think he, got, I think he was much better on this, which is always nice to see because you don't want to see somebody like JR that you've watched team for years uh like not looking at his best you want him to still be like jr that you know absolutely and uh i mean i was a little nervous when he came out too because they still had that like that like pyro rig sort of like right in the middle of the stage there and i i mean listen i i know that jr is you know he's a little bit of an older guy and whatever but uh, you know he's definitely got his wits still about him but you know it is always like a little nerve-wracking to see Someone who, if he's playing to the crowd and he's really happy, you know, I didn't, I just didn't want anything bad to happen to Jr. So, um, but I think overall Jr.'s work was a lot better on this show than Double or Nothing, just because he was able to be a little bit more, like, because Excalibur definitely handled most of like the bigger, like the names of the moves, like the special moves, and like some of the bigger, quicker spots, and then Jr. would just throw in a quick you know, JR jab or a JR line and they would be able to work around him. I actually really like Golden Boy too. I thought Golden Boy's work. I believe he's a uh like a esports commentator or oh. like someone who works uh because uh, they mentioned when Kenny Omega came out that uh he plays Apex Legends with him uh oh. quite frequently. So I think Golden Boy is just uh he's like an esports guy. Um which was cool to see that they got someone new in there and that he did so well. Um out there and i think jr being in that third person kind of like legend role and then they let excalibur and golden boy really handle the bulk 
of the commentary. I think it's like the best idea. So that way JR doesn't get too bogged down in having to remember too many things or call too many things too quickly. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be one of those guys who just say, immediately says that like, he's passed or anything. I always try and give JR the benefit of the doubt nowadays when he's on a show. But I think with Excalibur and Goldberg, I think this is one of the better examples I've seen of a, of a three-man commentary team because I often think the third commentary doesn't usually add anything, but I think all three of them like brought it on this show. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we go to move into Fighter Fest proper. Uh, the main show begins with an excellent video package, uh, sort of like a previously on AEW television sort of opening. And it was, I mean, it got me excited for the beginning of the show. It got me very, very like ready to see what they were going to pull out from fighter fest. Cause uh, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the same level of uh, hype or I, I mean, I, I was interested in like, like intrigued and excited for the show, but in a different way than I was for like all out, uh, all in or double or nothing. And this one felt like more of a, like a, like a, like a really, really, really good non big four pay-per-view for AEW And this, uh, Video package at the beginning really showed that. Uh, what were your feelings on the package at the beginning? Yeah, I really liked the like, uh, different like you said, got uh, previously on EW vibes from this. I think it was basically trying to say that EW needed to keep their own momentum going on this show after such a big show like Double or Nothing. And I agree with you that I wasn't sure what to expect from this because I think a good example of this and Fight for the Fall, and they feel like kind of what a clash of the champions would feel like back in the day in wcw and that it was usually treated as a big deal but they weren't seen as like not as big a deal as the pay-per-views and double or nothing and all it feel like the, like the big shows so i wasn't sure didn't know if this would have a similar feel to double or nothing but given the look of the the look of the arena this definitely felt as big as double or nothing and all the guys on the show definitely still treated it as if it was a big deal definitely definitely um also, like, I'm just, I'm going to say it right here at the top of the show. I actually think this show was better than Double or Nothing, in my opinion. I didn't expect, like, anything from this show, really. And I thought the card was way bigger than I thought we were going to get for something that was coinciding with, uh, like, a gaming convention. I figured this was going to be more of, like, a taped live event. But, yeah, uh, let's get right into it. First match on the main show is the Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels versus Seema from Stronghearts. Uh, the OEW uh, connection really showing here. They had an impressive back and forth, hard hitting match. Um, it was just a really solid wrestling match between two veterans. Um, we had like a like a very Japanese style crowd where they weren't exactly losing their minds the whole match, but they were sitting there just enthralled by what was going on in the ring. Uh, it didn't have like huge hype but as far as like just pure wrestling this match was i mean really really solid what'd you think yeah i really enjoyed it i did think it was a good uh, idea to open the show i've enjoyed the the build just on the likes of being the elite where daniels is uh, conflicted on whether or not to take the match and it shows him uh, talking to somebody and then when it finally cuts to see who he's talking about and he's being very serious and open to it it just shows that he's talking to his dog about whether or not he should accept the match which i thought was quite funny <laughs> Yeah, that is funny. Yeah, and uh, I did. This is quite early on in this match. You could tell how much better the commentary was in this show because they were talking about both men's uh, the history and their kind of background, and they talked about 
how long Daniels had been wrestling. So definitely the commentators like give, gave both men a lot of props because they've both been around a long time and I really enjoyed the match. And I think the finish made sense given that Shima's got a big match uh, at fight for the fallen against Omega. Yeah, I mean, and just based on what we saw, like, I'm not exactly too familiar with uh, Seema, and I've watched, like, a handful of Christopher Daniels stuff, but I'm excited for Seema versus Omega. I think that's just going to be unbelievable, just based on what we saw here, where uh, Seema's not afraid to throw down, uh, especially with someone like Christopher Daniels, who comes from, you know, wrestling Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, and it's even this late in his career, it's interesting to see that he can still go like this and that Sema is still really, really just as good, if not better than Christopher Daniels. Um, really just intriguing stuff. Yeah. I think, uh, the SCU stuff is just over a sale with the fans and with Daniels's position backstage and, and talent, I think he can afford to take a few singles losses and the whole thing they've made clear in AEW is about the wins and losses. They matter. And the same thing with Ali earlier on about her going to her match at Fight for the Fallen. They made a big deal on this show with anybody who had a match uh, at Fight for the Fallen. The whole thing about momentum uh, being the most important thing for each person on the show. And that uh, made sense here. They went all in on the fact that Shima needed to win when he was going in, if he was going in to face Omega. Yeah, and that I, I it made like even just like this exhibition match here it and all of the matches throughout uh because there aren't titles yet you have to you have to sort of figure out a way to keep everything like feeling like it matters and i feel like that because they stressed that wins and losses will matter the records are being kept um and all of that stuff like it makes every match feel like it counts which is definitely something that has been missing for a really really long time i didn't even realize i needed that in wrestling until it dawned on me that all of these guys are fighting for a legit spot like these are like wins and losses really will matter and it seems like they have a plan for just about everybody at the moment so we'll see how long that goes uh and how long they can continue to have this success with that kind of uh system in place seam ends up getting the win though um as I said, fans were respectful and even, you know, just quietly watching uh, this really, really good vet- veteran contest. Uh, they were loud at points and really uh, into everything, but it was just a sort of respectful, like, we're going to just enjoy this, like, clinic that these two guys are putting on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. Uh, we move on to the second match of the main card, Riho versus Nyla Rose versus Yuka Sakazaki in a triple threat women's match. Um, Nyla Rose is just a powerhouse. Like, oh my goodness, was just able to go out there and these two poor, tiny little Japanese girls were just, I mean, battered and beaten for the most part in this match. It was, I mean, from the early going, Nyla is just like kicking their ass, regardless of how the two-on-one offense from Ryo and Yuka were going, like... It was it was impressive to see how well she could kick two girls' asses at the same time. Uh, what were your thoughts on this triple threat match? Well, uh, as I as I talked about with Carl when we did our double and roughing review, the six women uh, tag match was probably my least favorite match of the night. I just didn't think it was there was any real chemistry, and I think it was a bit sloppy in part. So, uh, given that Rio and Yuki Sakazaki were in that match. 
think this is a much better showcase for them uh, than at double or nothing. And if they, if they could do, I don't think they could have done anything more to make Nyla look more like a monster in this match because I was worried about her, her position because when you brought Awesome Kong in after establishing that Nyla was going to be the monster of the women's division, then you bring in someone like Awesome Kong, worry if like her spot's going to be like diminished. But uh, she looks strong in this match. Uh, I think they may have told the story of she was just enjoying beating up the other two so much that she didn't get the cover when she probably could have, and that's ultimately what cost her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could see that there was uh, just basically like on Nyla Rose throughout this match, it was almost like she was she she had almost just already written both of them off as well. I'm, I already beat them, you know. Like this match is just sort of like a like it's just like this has already happened in my head, and I think that they played that really well. Um, that guillotine knee that Nyla Rose did to, I think it was Riho when she was, uh, like draped across the top rope, just looked like gnarly. It was insanely good looking. Um, there was, uh, that double cross body catch that, um, Nyla Rose did when both of the women came off the top rope one after one another. I mean, the power that Nyla has is absolutely unbelievable. She's just going to tear through that women's division. Yeah, absolutely. And I did like uh, some of the spots, like when I believe it was uh, Sakazaki did a running kick when uh, Nyla had Rio in a pin position, but then didn't realize the way she kicked her, she'd moved Rio in a pin position on Nyla, then suddenly had to turn around and then break up that spot as well. That was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, faster paced, uh, back and forth action kept this match from feeling dull. Looking at you, Allie and Leva Bates. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought this match was like highly entertaining. And I've said it before. I'm not. I I grew up in an era where women's wrestling wasn't where it was today. So I still have that bias in my head a little bit. Where I'm not always super into women's wrestling, but I thought this was another fantastic match. And Riho ends up getting a flash roll up pin. And uh, wins the match. Um, but Nyla was not happy about that. Um, and she goes to beat up Riho. But just before she can really get anything done, uh, Sakazaki comes back in. And um, like they both they both drop kick her out of the ring. And she goes away. Then Riho and Yuka Sakazaki have a moment with one another. Riho pushes her away. Y- uh, Yuka looks incredibly upset and sad. Half the crowd was like, oh, poor little... Poor little girl, why you got to be mean to her? Um, and that was that on that match. Uh, what did you make of the um, the no friends? I'm gonna push you down sort of thing between Riho and Yuka at the end. I think it was kind of a everyone for herself kind of thing because I think it was just more she didn't trust her after she'd already been beat up by another Rose and maybe she didn't see her trying to help her. And I did think Rio getting the win was surprising because I thought Nyla. Uh, was gonna, actually going to win this because, like, I thought she, I thought Nyla was going to win because she didn't get much to do in that, in the four way at double or nothing. So I thought it was going to be a win to make her look, look dominant because the focus was kind of more on Awesome Kong in that match. But uh, I'm quite happy to see Rio win because she, her and uh, all, all three of them actually put on a good show in this match. And I'm interested to see how uh, likes of Rio are going to be integrated into the roster because. Uh, the six-woman tag felt like more of a showcase, whereas here 
they, they felt like more of an actual part of the roster and that's going to be interesting going forward, especially because they announced uh, all, all, all Out, they're going to be unveiling the new women's title. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and I'm I'm intrigued to see how they're handling women's wrestling. I hope it's more like this than the previous women's match that we saw. I don't mean to keep shitting on it. I just, you know, <laughs> I just really think that it could have been done a lot better, especially if Leva Bates decided to look like she wanted to wrestle. Um, but uh yeah, so this match was great. And we move on to the fatal four-way match where uh Kip Sabian comes out uh just before the match and it is announced on commentary that the winner of this match will face Kip Sabian, I'm assuming, at Fight for the Fallen. Yeah. I, I didn't exactly catch when that, that match was going to take place. I think, um, I, think did, I think they said it was uh, Fight for the Fallen, but I don't think they mentioned that until uh, after the match. I think they mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, and Sabian was... Uh, I mean, it took him a little while to even like be heard. He, was, he seems very soft-spoken. I'm not too familiar with Sabian, but uh, on commentary, he came across very soft-spoken. Yeah, I kind, of, um, I kind of forgot he was there at one point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think JR made made mention of something and, like, posed it towards Kip Sabian, and then his response was really quiet. So, like, JR just sort of had to repeat it, and then they had to move on. But that's just a, a nitpicky thing. That's, that's all that is. Um, MJF versus Jungle Boy versus Jimmy Havoc versus Hangman Adam Page. Uh, MJF comes out, I mean, and just starts roasting the audience, just starts telling people that, like, if he sucks, well, then, you know, their mothers all swallow and yada, yada, yada. Uh, MJF is just a fantastic heel. Uh, he's he knows how to get people to boo him and he enjoys it. He laps that shit up like a like a good gazpacho. Um, Jungle Boy comes out riding Luchasaurus, which I don't care what anybody says. This is my favorite, like, team in AEW right now. Like, they're just just they they seem so great with one another they apparently have been like inseparable since double or nothing which i i find entertaining um and jungle Jung boy comes out riding luchasaurus so i'm all about that like good on them um the match has done really well i think uh i mean a lot of the it, multi-man matches seem to be AEW's specialty like it seems that Whomever they're really using to, uh, to book these uh, matches or to like agent these matches together, um, they really learn from like PWG and, uh, you know, they know how to do the big matches like Dustin versus Cody. But then when you get these multi-man matches, I mean, th that's what really feels like the most special. I mean, we even saw that in the triple threat women's match just before this. Any multi-person match is going to be something that just seems to work in this environment. Um, what were what were some of your thoughts on this fatal four-way match where Hangman Adam Page came out as the winner and he'll be facing Kip Sabian next, uh, in two weeks? I uh, really enjoyed the match. Uh, it was quite chaotic, as, as you said, but uh, maybe it's because it's uh, Adam already has the match with Jericho. I probably didn't see it going any other way than him coming out on top. Maybe if he didn't, somebody else got pinned other than him then I could have seen like somebody else winning but I could I probably thought that Hangman was gonna win this match regardless but I still enjoyed it uh like you said MGF is a fantastic heel and I definitely think if Paige wins the the world title from Jericho then I think uh, the first major feud for that belt will be MGF versus Hangman Page and as far as the whole the multi-match matches go 
I think once they get like weekly TV, they'll probably cut down on that. But I think Skater, they only have a handful of shows before that, and they have quite a large roster to really showcase. So I think it's a case of introducing like as many people as possible because uh, for a certain amount of the audience, a lot of these people are pretty much unknown. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, all of these guys really came out and just gave the entire like the entire audience watching at home and all of the people in the arena gave them a really good sampling of what really brought them all to the dance. MJF was, you know, pretty good here. He did a lot of good character work in his motions. Jungle Boy with that suspended cannonball moonsault he did off of the um off of the ring post to the outside, even though he clipped his leg on it, it still looked fantastic. Like it's just it doesn't even seem like you should be able to do stuff like that where on a planet that has gravity. You know? Yeah. Um, go Havoc, ahead. I think Jimmy Havoc was probably the one who got uh, showcased the least out of the four. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that maybe because uh, Havoc is more of a uh, like deathmatch and hardcore wrestler. So he did like those like little spots in between uh, and he got like enough to do. But I feel like um, maybe like that was probably the way to go at Adam Page is like their big main event guy. Jungle Boy is going to be someone that they're pushing in the like the lower card and MJF seems to be their top heel. So, I mean, it just naturally sort of felt like Havoc only having a few things to do was probably good. He might even been the one who was like agenting this and putting this together a little bit. So uh, usually when that happens, at least in like TV shows, when some, when an actor is directing, they don't like to put them themselves in the episode a lot. So I could see maybe that's why Havoc was just sort of in this sort of sparingly and just sort of used as a, like a background player in this match a little bit. Yeah, I mean, JR makes a comment that Havoc looks like he's been through a couple of windshields. And I think I can vouch for that because I went to an ICW show where I watched Jimmy Havoc uh, take a Death Valley driver through a plane of glass. Jeez, they, yeah, those are always uh, those are those are always pretty insane. Those panes of glass uh, spots, and yeah. uh, it's not something you recover from quickly. Uh, and I was on the I was on the side that where the glass was positioned, so I had to immediately duck down as soon as they got anywhere near the. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You you do. I ended up um I. Was I worked ring crew at a deathmatch tournament in West West Virginia a couple of years ago, uh-huh. and the amount of like light tube glass and panes of glass and just random things I was shaking out of my hair and dumping out of my shoe after the show was over was insane. Like I don't understand how those guys do what they do, but God bless them for it. We move on to uh, possibly one of the biggest talking points of the entire evening. Darby Allen goes one-on-one with Cody. Um, Allen comes out with a uh, body bag that says Cody one-on-one, representing that he said he would give Cody his first loss in AEW. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you first. Uh, just before, let's just cover the match first before we get into what happened after the bell rang. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I really enjoyed the match. Uh, I've seen a little bit of Darby Allen. I was actually surprised when his signing was announced because he'd been heavily involved with Evolve and uh, Evolve's relationship with WWE has been heavily covered. So I assumed that he was kind of a shoe in eventually to be signed by NXT. But I'm glad to see uh, he's getting a big showcase in his first AEW match. 
and I think he really impressed because he showed his willingness to really do anything to himself. Like he took the spot where he basically went back first onto the post, and Corey just beat the hell out of him for a lot of it. And then he also showed off his smart kind of technical side when he started going after uh, Corey's hand. Yeah, absolutely, and just the way that they showcased Darby Allen here, where he was unwilling to stay down for three or give up or anything like that. Like based on the promo beforehand, I thought he was going to be more like in Cody's face uh, throughout and sort of like more vicious and whatnot. But like the way that they ended up putting him over was very interesting. Like the the fact that this match goes to a time limit draw, which was not something I thought we were going to get this early on into the run of AEW, which I missed time limits in wrestling. I think that, they're very important, especially for like the health and uh, like speed of a show. So you don't end up getting something that like you can't have guys going over time. If the match is just going to end with a time limit draw, you don't get Skrull and Okada from all in or, <laughs> yeah. you know, any amount of other shenanigans, you know, that happen at indie shows all the time where if a guy feels like he's getting slighted, he'll just keep kicking out for 45 minutes and then you lose the crowd halfway through because somebody wanted more TV time. Cody threw Dar- when Cody threw Darby Allen in like it looked like he was going to throw him into the post but then he went like sideways out of the ring to the floor and it just looked like he had been ejected from like a car. Mm-hmm. Like I I mean that right there like it I popped for it a little bit. I was just like, "All right, well, let's let's fucking see who this kid is, you know?" And this was one of those matches where, like I was saying before, with the like on TV presentation of like the size differential, because it looked like Cody was wrestling a 12 year old here. It really did like not to shit talk Darby Allen. I I think he's pretty fantastic just from watching this match. I thought this was very, very good. But Cody being like in that sort of like thick, like world class sort of wrestling shape up against Darby Allen, who's like thin as a rail and rather short. It like it, it, it was, it was interesting to see, you know, the, the size differential between the two of them and the fact that Cody was not able to put Darby Allen away in the 20 minutes, in the 20 minutes allowed it. Like Allen misses that, that trust fall back first onto the apron and he still manages to kick out. Cody hits a disaster kick while he's in the body bag. I mean, this match had so, 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 so much. Um, speak yeah. a little bit to uh, what, because are you more familiar with Darby Allen? I wasn't really familiar with him at all before this. Uh, I was, I was fairly familiar with him mainly through Evolve and like they do the kind of these many documentaries uh, around their shows. So I got a bit of like insight into Darby Allen and his kind of style of wrestling. Uh, I remember seeing he was featured on the Viceland, the wrestlers documentary series where it was another body bag spot he had with Ethan Page where he was put in the body bag and then some tacks were poured into the body bag and then Ethan Page slams him inside the bag, which looked just brutal. So he's definitely a wrestler who is not afraid to take risks. I think he probably could be up there close with like some Moxley and Janelle that we've seen later on. But what the to do with the time limits, I think the whole thing about going all in on the, the time limits is because of what happened at all in and how quickly they had to wrap up the, the main event. They're 
probably learning from their previous mistakes and yeah, they're full, you could tell they were going to have a timeout draw eventually. Just didn't know when. And I think this is the right match to do it because yeah, you had Cody going to that big tag match in a couple of weeks where so he they kept saying that he couldn't afford a loss going to such a big match alongside his brother. But also Darby, this is his first match, so you just make him look like a guy who won't give up and eventually couldn't be put away within the twenty minutes. So it's a great thing for him in his debut. Absolutely. Um, I don't. I honestly don't think that this match could have gone any better with the timing that Cody was able to use on when he finally gets him into the crossroads and he's crawling over for the cover. When he goes to cover him, there's like two, one, and then just as the hand is coming down for the three count, the bell rings. That match ends in a time limit draw. Um, and then while the crowd is chanting for five more minutes, the former. Ty Dillinger, Sean Spears comes out and um, just sort of like wax Cody Rhodes over the head with a chair unprotected to the skull. Um, this is sure to be something that a lot of people are either going are either going to love or hate uh, based on what they feel about wrestling. But it is one thing to try and differentiate yourself from WWE. But I feel like the one thing that we don't need back is dudes getting hit in the head with chairs. We don't need it anymore. You can put your hands up like The Rock used to and like tap the front of the chair with your hands and make it look like it hit your head all you want. I don't care. But the last thing that we need in 2019 is for these big name, intelligent wrestlers, especially in a new company, to lose time uh, in their career towards the end of their life uh just i mean we just we just don't need these types of chair shots cody rhodes uh ends up getting hit a little too high on uh, on the back of the head with the chair a part of the chair and you could see a flap of skin come up as the camera was panning around uh and ended up with 12 staples and he has no reported concussion which I guess is good if that's true, but I mean, to to me, he went out. He was out cold for at least a second there, and it, it's just something we don't need. And I I just I wish Cody all the best, but like from now on, let's try and stick to not getting hit in the face with a fucking chair. Um, yeah. your thoughts on the angle uh, at the end of the match here? Well, it just can't seem to come out of nowhere because there was no indication that. Sean Spears was ever going to be on the show. He wasn't advertised. And then he comes out and he hits him with the chair. And like the idea of, like, if Cody, if he took Cody from behind, you'd understand why Cody wasn't, wouldn't have been able to get his hands up. But Cody turns around and sees him as he's sitting in the chair. So, like, I don't know why they couldn't have done the whole putting the hands up because as, as bad as some people think putting the hands up makes the chair shot look, it's, it makes all the difference at the end of the day because you're even giving yourself a small chance of preventing a concussion or any serious long-term brain damage. And, like, especially with a match that Cody's got in, like, two, just two weeks, you kind of risk a possible concussion that would probably rule them out of that match entirely if it had gone wrong. And I think it's just a pretty stupid thing, a stupid risk to make. Well, I mean, I mean, the flap of skin that came up on his head was rather large, and if you have 12 staples in your head, l let's face facts, you're not going to be ready to wrestle in two weeks. 
There's, I don't think that there's any way. Um, whether or not the chair was gimmicked the right way and there was a miscommunication, the fact that Cody didn't even go to put his hands up means they planned for this spot to happen the way that it happened. Uh, maybe he didn't plan on the back of his head getting sliced open, but let's 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 avoid these types of things. And I think that even if Cody, because his hand had been worked on for 20 minutes in the match before, if he had gone to put his hand up and they could have done like a like a broken hand thing now that he had gotten hit in the head with the chair and his hand broke from trying to save himself from getting hit. Like, uh, like if you want to do a heel turn, that's fine. Great. I'm all for seeing Sean Spears do a heel turn for whatever reason. I'm sure we'll find out through internet videos or even like on fight for the fallen or all out or on the TV, why Sean Spears did what he did. That's all fine and well and good and wrestling. But I mean, come on, AEW. Like, this was this was literally of the three things that I had a problem with. There was some small production issues that Allie and Leva Bates match, and then Cody getting whacked in the head with a chair. Like, you guys are you guys should be better than this. Like, yeah. this, yeah, you don't. We don't need for this to happen this way. Yeah, and Cody, I'm hoping he, he keeps his word on the idea that he said like. We want to be held accountable for things like tell us when something goes wrong. We'll listen to our fans. So hopefully, like he, him, and the guys at AWC kind of the outcry from this because a lot of people are very much against the idea of unprotected chairs. So hopefully, they see that yeah, this was a mistake, and they we don't see this again. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like I said, I we we here at Rogue Opinions wish Cody Cody Rhodes the best. Hopefully he gets better soon and hopefully AEW as a company and as a promotion, they learn from this and move uh, away from doing stuff like that. Uh, we move on to what is, I mean, essentially it's the main event of the main show before the non-sanctioned lights out match. The Lucha Brothers, Pentagon and Ray Phoenix and Laredo Kid versus the elite Nick and Matt Jackson and Kenny Omega. The Elite come out as Ryu, Ken, and Akuma from Street Fighter, which was fucking awesome. I thought it was so cool. They got the... Uh, what, what were your thoughts uh, like on the little like entrance video things where they would show like a few seconds of the entrance video before they got to showing the wrestler coming out? I thought that was an interesting change of production. Yeah, that was a really... like. A, a different like way of doing it and like, I knew that these guys were like Street Fighter characters although I don't know a lot about Street Fighter so I just like oh I'm just like I just like oh that's a Street Fighter thing but I didn't really I probably didn't mark it as much as somebody who knows Street Fighter more than I do yeah I mean I've been playing Street Fighter a long time and uh, I thought it was really cool but I also thought that they made it uh accessible enough for people who don't know it as much like you got you got the uh, Hadouken spot at the end. Everybody knows what a Hadouken is. Um, and then the three characters, they looked, I mean, great as the characters. They came out to uh, one of the songs from Street Fighter uh, at the beginning there, which I thought was awesome. Like, it was just so cool because they're at a gaming convention and they knew it was going to pop the fans and they're all really big gamers. So it's just it's just interesting to see that they were able to do something like that. I mean, granted, they are all EVPs. They can do what they want. But uh, yeah, I mean, just really, really cool. Um, you get fast paced, intense 
very precise moments and spots from these two teams who are very familiar with one another. Um, obviously, Kenny Omega and Pentagon Jr. had that belter of a match last year at All All In. Uh, the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks had that match at Double or Nothing, and they've wrestled each other a handful of times at AAA and pretty much everywhere else. Um, they get a Fight Forever chant. Uh, I mean, those goddamn V-triggers in this match. Laredo Kid looked like his head was going to be in the fourth row at one point. These V-triggers that Kenny Omega pulls off are bone cur- like bone cringingly, blood-curtingly like amazing because they're just so tight looking, but no one ever gets like hurt from them. And it's so, so cool. Um, I mean, this just played like a solid PWG six man tag match. I mean, this was just on fire. I can't say enough good stuff about it. Um, it was just a feel good, high energy match after what was arguably a really sort of somber moment when, uh, Cody got injured and kudos to these guys for being able to come out and work this well after their buddy got pretty badly hurt. Um, overall, what was uh, what was your feeling on Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid versus the Elite? Uh, well, first off, I like the nice touch where Cody, sorry, Kenny, had Dustin Roberts get on the mic and say, "Round one, fight." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely think this like whole attire in the entrance for this show in particular was the right choice given where the, the show is being held. And with the Excalibur on commentary and the pace that this was going, it was like almost too fast to really remember every every big spot. It did feel like you said like a PWG match. And I know uh, Pac was maybe in Laredo Kid's spot and Pac's probably went more well known to most audiences than Laredo Kid. I think they they did a good job of making sure people like like Love raved about this match regardless because there was a fear of people wondering like yeah but it would have been better if Pat was in there I think I don't know if they could have done it any better than what they did here with like they, they going to do the three they did the three super kicks from the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid and then they so brought us into the three Hadoukens at the same time I just thought like there was so much going on in this match it was really hard to keep up with and I think it falls along the same lines as the match from Double Up and the Lucha Brothers v Young Bucks because uh, the Lucha Brothers Young Bucks match was my favorite match of the night, and I think this could be definitely be the candidate for match of the night on this show. Yeah, this was absolutely one of those matches that if I were calling a commentary, I would have blown my voice out trying to keep up with the like intense action that these guys were able to pull off. I mean, everything was so precise. Um, there's just something about Kenny and the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers that they feel main event. They feel big time. Like they feel like the the stars, right? Like most of the stars from AEW. Like they are right at the top of the company where they should be. And I like like I said, I can't say enough good things about this match. So just good shit all around. Good, good shit all around. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think Mauro and Alec could keep up with this combat tape action. I think he would I think you'd keel over halfway through this match if you had to call this. Yeah, I mean, I've called matches uh, in the same vein as this uh, before, where like it's just spot, 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 and it's it's hard to keep up from time to time. But like, I mean, I've been lightheaded in these like lucha style six man tags before, trying to just keep up with like what's going on, but. 
I mean, these guys are just at the top of their game. And I, I mean, they're, they're just some of the best wrestlers on the planet. And it's, it's fantastic that the Lucha brothers have like this, like never ending bag of holding of just, uh, like random Lucha stars that they can pull up from Mexico and be like, Hey, now you get to be on TV in America. Like what, like watch this guy, you know? Um, and there was an interesting little thing. Uh, uh, Kenny Omega hits the one wing angel on the radio kid to bring this match to an end at, uh, uh, about 12 minutes, I think. Um, but then after that, you see that there's like a little interaction between Omega and Pentagon where I couldn't make out everything he was saying, but like, it almost seemed like he was still trying to sell Pentagon and Phoenix on coming to America full time. Cause he says that, listen to these people. He motions to the crowd. He says, listen to these people. This is happening in America and they love you this much. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously Omega and Pentagon are not done with each other yet. Uh, so hopefully that is something that we'll see moving forward. Um, but yeah, like I said, not enough good to say about this magic. It was just fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Justin Roberts hits the ring next to describe what's about to happen. Uh, he said that uh, the end of the last match was technically the last match on the card. You can hear like there was like a little bit of a, oh, huh, what? Uh, are we supposed to have one more match from the crowd in places? Because I guess a lot of people didn't understand like the format of how a non-sanctioned match really should be handled. Um and uh, Justin Roberts explains that the lights go off. It is the end of the show. But when the lights come back on, we will be treated to one more match, non-sanctioned by AEW, a lights out, hardcore match, false count anywhere, no disqualification, John Moxley versus the bad boy Joey Janela. Um, they make both of their entrances. Joey Janela, I mean, he's a home state boy. He's from Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is south from where I live. But um, I've had the pleasure of calling uh, a Joey Janela match recently. Um, just what was it last month? I believe it was, or the month before I called, uh, Joey Janela and JT Dunn versus, um, the new heart foundation, Teddy Hart and Davey boy Smith jr. And Joey Janela just is on top of his game ever since coming back from that, like brutal injury he had last year. He's, he was able to come back and like regain his momentum and just be everywhere. Um, this match had a big match feel, um, the, both of these guys are fantastic. Mox gets a huge reaction from the crowd. I mean, he is, he looked like he was just having the time of his life during this match. Like he looks energized. Yeah, he definitely looked more in his kind of element in this game of match. And I've, I've really enjoyed the build to this match. With basically this being two guys who basically they're very similar, and JNL is basically saying he's taking the spot that Moxley used to have on the scene before he went to WWE, and he's taking over the kind of hardcore deathmatch kind of spot. And he said if he ever became like what Moxley became in WWE, he might as well kill him. And there was a cool video where Moxley's watching that promo, and he gets in his car and drives him to the middle of the woods and starts digging a grave, presumably for Janela, which I thought was a really nice touch. So the way they've been building this match without really much interaction, the only interaction they've really had is when Moxley stole Janela's cigarette. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just the, like, they and they even explain it on commentary that there's, 
there is no bad blood. This isn't a blood feud. This is just two guys who want to go out there and prove to not only the fans, but each other that they are at the top of their game. They're doing what they need to do in this style of match, which is what brought both of these guys to the game. John Moxley was one of CZW's like first real rising stars back in the day in tournament of death and tournament of survival, I think is also theirs. Um, but Joey Janela, as of late, after Moxley went off to do what he did in WWE, Joey Janela really stepped in and was the guy who famously was, you know, thrown off of a roof by John Zandig uh, through light tubes and panes of glass and barbed wire in the back of that truck. Um, and like he was in the hospital for months and Moxley has had like saws ripped across his head and gone through you know, pretty much everything imaginable. So these two guys, as someone who's worked um, deathmatch tournaments and called deathmatches before, this is something that, I mean, for those fans, this is like a dream match that finally was able to happen inside an AEW ring and really all over an AEW arena. Um, Joe Janela used a fan's fake leg at one point, which, I mean, made me just full-on belly laugh. I thought that was fantastic. Um, Janelle is always down to just use stuff people bring. Um, and I mean, just like, like a, like a Terry Funk or Mick Foley sort of just like something comes up. He's like, oh yeah, I'll, fuck it. I'll use that. You know, why not? Um, there was a barbed wire steel chair, lots of tables, barbed wire boards, uh, that, you know, Janela got thrown through one Mox got thrown through the other. Um, for this style of match, it wasn't as bloody as I guess people were expecting, but it, it was hard hitting. These guys were just out there killing each other. Um, I'm not sure you saw the uh, picture that was put online later on in the evening um, where they're both sitting next to each other, just having a drink and they're both flipping each other off, not looking at each other. Um, that no, but it's funny. It's just, it's cool because it really does show that this isn't a blood feud. This was just two guys who wanted to go out there and wrestle one and fight one another. And not everything has to be a blood feud. And I think that that really, uh, shown through a really strong style, really good, solid, strong style, hardcore match between the present and future of this style of pro wrestling. Um, I don't know. What do you think match of the night or what was your match of the night here? Uh, I think my match tonight was probably the sixth man that came on just before this. But like you said, I was a bit surprised it wasn't as bloody as I thought it was going to be, but that's not a takeaway from some of the spots that they did. Like, you said the barbed wire on the tables and then the, the thumbtacks, the kind of the death rider and the thumbtacks finish. So, like, to say that there wasn't that much blood, it seems like a nitpick considering what they actually did go through. And it definitely, like, sets them apart from the last, the other no DQ match we had on the show, which featured baby all and video game related weapons. It's definitely a whole different, like, type of match. And one of my favourite spots in the match is when Moxley goes through the barbed wire because his facial expressions. Like or just something else, the way he sells like the pain of going through it. Because I remember every now and then when he take a particularly like brutal spot into he as Dean Ambrose, there would always be a picture going around afterwards of his facial reaction to that move. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, I mean, as you said, they brought the thumbtacks out. There was two whole bags of thumbtacks, and Mox ends up tearing the shoes and the socks off of Joe Janela, who then gets. These thumbtacks, I mean, I've seen it done a lot. I've seen barefoot death death matches done before, but it never gets 
not uncomfortable to see a man put get thumbtacks shoved into his feet. Uh, and that, I mean, I'd mentioned briefly that there were some production issues, but as far as like a good production note, like the, like the camera angle that they got where you saw Joey Janela's feet filled with thumbtacks and then the look on his face and the scream he let out when those thumbtacks went in his foot were just, fa- I mean, just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know I'm not really meant to, you may like be a, a bit of a shock when you see thumbtacks, but I always chuckle even when I see thumbtacks because, uh, and ICW in Scotland, whenever a thumbtacks get introduced to a match, uh, the com- main commentator Billy Kirkwood always goes mental when he sees thumbtacks and keeps saying, "Who keeps selling wrestlers thumbtacks? Seriously, son of a bitch keeps selling thumbtacks to wrestlers." Oh man, that is true. Like the way that tables, doors, barbed wire, and thumbtacks get sold to wrestlers on a consistent basis at this point does baffle me. Like, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you got to make money. Yeah. Um, so Moxley wins with uh, what they that they call it the Death Rider in New Japan, but here they called it the Paradigm Shift DDT um, into thumbtacks. I mean, Moxley got a real like he the whole lower part of his back was just filled with thumbtacks after delivering the DDT. But he he does get the win after that, and then uh, Omega comes out to attack Moxley for attacking him at Double or Nothing. This beatdown wasn't uh, as good as Mox's on Omega at Double or Nothing, but it was effective. And, I mean, we're going to see these two guys just, I mean, straight up, like, murder one another in August. And I can't wait for that. Um, So it was another uh, wild and varied show from AEW. Some shortcomings aside, uh, as I mentioned, you know, the production issues, Cody's injury, and the Ali and Leva Bates match. This show was a great second outing. For AEW, I can't wait to see what they do in two weeks at Fight for the Fallen in Jacksonville. And then, of course, All Out is August 31st. Uh, my, I'm gonna, We're going to move right into the ratings here. My rating is an absolute thumbs up. This show was fantastic start to finish. And those shortcomings aside, it was just really fantastic to see that AEW is maintaining that momentum that they have. Scott, what is your rating for this show? Uh, I would definitely give it a thumbs up as well. Uh, I think I enjoyed it almost as much as I enjoyed Double or Nothing, and I really enjoyed that show. And I think this had the benefit of like people that weren't sure what to expect, whereas Double or Nothing was very much that people were hyped beyond belief for that show. And I think for a second show, it did a great job of continuing the momentum. Because there's a there's a phrase they say in like television, like it's not the ratings for your pilot episode that matter; it's the ratings for your second episode. Because it's about who watched the pilot and decided to come back. And so if you get people to come back for the second show, that's when you know you've got people invested. And I think people are just as invested in this as they were before. Like, let the chair spot aside. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, another... another like thing was, like I said earlier, I actually enjoyed the show a little bit more than Double or Nothing. And it had nothing to do with the like the quality of matches on either show that made that for me. It was just, they had these really interesting matchups between, you know, Cody and Darby Allen and Lucha brothers versus the elite. Um, just the, uh, and John Moxley versus Joey Janela, uh, the triple threat tag match, the comedy match, the fatal four way, everything was just interestingly set up just a lot of, uh, really just 
like fun looking pairings. And if a if this is the way AEW is going to be booking their shows, where they're just going to throw everybody at everybody, I'm really interested to see that they're going to be able to keep pulling this off. Um, but yeah, that was Fighter Fest. Uh, very very good show, beginning to end. Um, Scott, what are your plugs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McFly nineteen eighty six. I do another podcast called Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. You can get us on. At SG Rambling on Twitter and Facebook.com forward slash Rambling Podcast. We just did an episode talking about the idea of uh, the news that EW is TV 14 and how that will affect them going up against WWE, considering WWE's PG and what WWE needs to do to compete. And uh, we've got an episode coming up soon that's going to be all about Bray Wyatt. Oh, it sounds very interesting. Um, you can follow me. On Twitter at Mr. Riot, that's M R R I zero T because Counter Strike was a thing. And if you're getting sick of me hearing that, tweet me about it. I'll come up with something funnier. Um, also follow uh, at MC Pod twenty three. We're getting uh, we're working up to uh, a big return once we figure out a few things on recording schedules. So follow us over there. Go back in our archives. Look back at uh, some of the really fun stuff that we have going on here at Rogue Opinion. That's uh, Rogue underscore Opinion on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us there and go back, listen to Kayfabe Court. Uh, we're reviewing uh, Retro Smackdowns. There's one-off shows. Uh, we had the Kayfabe Jobber stop in. Uh, yes, that Kayfabe Jobber, as if there's any other. He stopped in to uh, have a chat about basketball, hip-hop, uh, an assortment of other things with our very own Raul Asnani. And the show's really fun. It's a really fun listen. Uh, so... Please go listen to that and continue to check us out. Uh, for now, uh, I'm Jimmy Baxter. That's Scott McLeod, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here on the Fighter Fest review, and we'll see you guys real, real soon.